Welcome back to the Thermodat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Miller, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Tyler Woodward. How are we doing today, Jaden? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. What are we talking about today? Um, so today we actually have a Q&A from the Facebook group. Um, and the first question is, best thermo thing to take for headache caused by allergies and or being out in hot weather? Interesting. So allergies... I think I think we separate these into two different things, probably. Um, being out in hot weather, probably the most important thing is going to be replenishing electrolytes, mm-hmm. getting that magnesium, sodium, potassium, calcium. Um, anything else you'd add on that? Um, yeah, I would say whenever it comes to hydration levels, probably doing something like the adrenal cocktail is going to be very beneficial while you're out mm-hmm. in the heat. Um, or before and after. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't drink any water whatsoever nowadays. Like I'll either do coconut water, orange juice, milk, or like a, an adrenal cocktail, which is very similar to like a Gatorade taste in my opinion. I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I'm perfectly well hydrated. I don't really get thirsty that often anymore. Um, so yeah, that's probably my biggest mm. um, tip there. Yeah, I heard uh, Jake... Great quote from Jake Miner yesterday. I'm going to change it a little bit because I forget exactly what he said. But uh, it was like water dilutes and like minerals hydrate. Yes. Which I think like because you don't no one tells you to drink distilled water, right? Because it's pure water and it would just dilute your whole body. Mm-hmm. You need to hydrate. You need all those electrolytes. So now that I think water is bad, I drink water sometimes occasionally. But uh, you want to make sure you're getting all those vitamins, minerals, electrolytes to hydrate your cells, get those, get the water in the right places in the right amount. Right. Definitely. Like if you're dealing with muscle cramps and stuff like that, you really don't want to drink straight water. That like that is probably one of the worst things mm-hmm. that you can do, in my opinion. Um, drinking something, and again, like the adrenal cocktail, is going to be something that's extremely beneficial for getting those electrolytes back into your body, so they can get to the muscle and alleviate a lot of the um, like um, overactivation of the muscle mm. that's happening there. Yeah, let the r- muscle recover and turn back to a parasympathetic state, turn off pretty much. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then so, as far as allergies, so I've been looking at allergies a little bit recently. Uh, I think one thing that's pretty interesting is L-theanine. L-theanine, one study found it was like a pharmaceutical grade antihistamine, which I think is pretty crazy because it's like L-theanine is the main amino acid or not the main amino acid, but what like green tea is known for, like one of the benefits of green tea and a little bit in coffee, I believe. Maybe maybe not in coffee, but some, some of the teas. Um and then I've also been looking into it, and my roommate has some bad allergies, so I've been trying to help him out and a couple of the coworkers. And uh, I think copper is very important. Um, the, the histamine dioxidase or whatever detoxifies, breaks down hist- histamine, is copper, and, th- and I think magnesium dependent. Mm-hmm. So you need to have both enough of those. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is I've actually noticed a similar antihistamine response from taking Epsom salt baths. Mm. Um, so I've noticed like before um, I'll get in, like my nose is kind of running or it's stopped up. And then whenever I get out, it's almost like um, it's cleared out by itself um, after taking an Epsom salt bath. That could have to do with your body kind of getting rid of some of the stuff that's in it from the sweat that you have in a hot bath. Um, but it also could be from a little bit of magnesium replenishment as well. Um, I think zinc is also important to toss in there too. So um, if you're focused on getting a little bit of copper in there, you also need to get in a little bit of zinc in there too. Mm -hmm. Um, There's different studies that show, like similar to how um, people, um, the, um, I don't want to say the word, but you know, the C word, the big C word that everybody talks about. Um, Zinc deficiencies was a big factor in why people um, were having such dramatic effects from Mm. something like that. Um, 
So yeah, that's just something to think about. Yeah, vitamin D deficiency too, I think was pretty prevalent in like a lot of the at-risk population too, which is also goes hand in hand with magnesium. So just full circle brings it all back. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, second part of this guy, of this woman's question. Um, if I have an evening workout, weights and elliptical, what and when should I eat afterward, if anything, post-workout? Um, I mean, you want to get some protein in. You want to replenish those carbs. And you probably want to get some fat to help balance the blood sugar in. <laughs> yeah. So whatever category of food you can make that has those three will probably be pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I would say that like, um, and this is going to be prevalent to any kind of recreational activity that you're doing like that. Um, even in a lot of cases, whenever you're just using mental energy is like you're placing a stressor on your body and you need to provide your body with energy in order to buffer yourself against that stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever you have low blood sugar, whenever because your body is using more energy during those bouts of exercise or um, high Focus. mental activity, yep. um, you're burning through all of the energy stores that you have in your liver, um, you know, in the cells. So you need to replenish the glucose that it's burning through. Um, and then you also need to replenish your body with the things that are going to help it heal um, for longer term adaptations, like the amino acids that you need in order to allow your muscles to heal the glucose to allow for liver glycogen to be replenished and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, if you want, uh, something to last you a little bit longer, if you got something to go do after you get done working out, adding in a little bit of fat to help the, um, release into the bloodstream is going to be probably a little bit beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a much better answer than mine. (laughs) Yeah, make sure to get some of the essential amino acids, so either milk or meat pretty much. And I mean, I like throwing in a little bit of collagen or bone broth, but it's probably not necessary for recovering from the workout adaptations. But on just getting some sugar in and some good quality fat, I think is important. Yeah, definitely. Something, um, a hack that has kind of helped me, especially if my dinner is pushed a little bit later and I'm working out in the afternoons is, so I'll kind of like my, one one of my routines throughout the week um, is like, I'll get up, go to jujitsu. Me and Tyler will roll for a little while. And I have a smoothie before I go to jujitsu in the mornings. And then I'll usually have like a small snack a little bit after that. Um, and then I'll have another smoothie probably around lunchtime or something like that. And then sometimes if I'm not able to get that smoothie and I need to work out, um, without being able to get something to eat right afterwards, I'll have like a protein shake with milk and either like, um, the simply five chocolate syrup or Mm. some maple syrup. And then I'll put a scoop of collagen in there as well. And it's a great post-workout and it keeps me pretty satiated until dinner time. Yeah. I do the, the chocolate milk, the anabolic chocolate milk. Check out that recipe on our blog. I think it's pretty good after jujitsu. I think I might switch to the adrenal cocktail or something like that before jujitsu and then do the chocolate milk with uh, some eggs after I felt did that the other day. So I woke up too late. I was like, oh, I actually feel really good. Yeah, definitely. I think as long as you get those, that glucose replenishment mm-hmm. into your liver, then you should be good to until post. Yeah. Might throw a little collagen in the adrenal cocktail too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then is there a tea that's thermo? I think it depends on the quality of the tea. I mean, generally they're all going to have like green tea is known to have fluoride in it. Um, I think chamomile tea, tea is like lavender. Um, chamomile is pretty good. Um, I'm not really sure if it has any kind of estrogenic effects, but I do know a lot of people will pair chamomile with glycine mm. um, as like a pre-sleep 
type of uh, concoction. Um, you also have the adaptogenic teas that you can get. So like I've bought um, like ashwagandha tea mm. and have uh, have had ashwagandha tea that actually works as a pretty decent nootropic. Um, what about like mushroom teas? Is that a thing? Like can you make like lion's mane tea? Yeah, I'm sure that you can. I, I would I would assume that it's going to be more of an extract. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably the only stuff that I've seen is like the lion's mane coffee and stuff like that from like yeah. Four Sigmatic. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that there's there's mushroom teas out there. Um, yeah, I I would go for the adaptogenic teas though. Like I I definitely have used the ashwagandha tea, which works pretty well. Um, and I'm sure they have ones for like um, I don't know. Rhodiola rosea yeah. and stuff like that. Um, That's why I like the theanine extract because it's like the benefits of theanine without any of the the tea. But yeah. I would I would mess around with some tea. I know Teresa Piela at Living Roots Wellness, the girl, <laughs> she uh, is a huge fan of teas. So I think a lot of it depends on the quality and like where you're getting it from, um, and all that stuff. So say good or bad is a very oversimplification. Just got to dive in, get a good source, and maybe some are better or worse than others. But yeah, definitely. And um, you know. Yerba mate is also a good mm. nootropic, um, especially if you use like I think it's called like a gourd or something like that. It's like the little cups that you pour small amounts of hot water into, and you kind of like um, it's almost like an extraction every time that you pour the water on the leaves, and it has like a little straw you can um, sip it out of. I know that Tim Ferriss uses that whenever he's like writing and stuff like that, uh, and he, he says that it helps him. Yerba mate does have a decent amount of caffeine in there, so mm-hmm. if you're wa- if you are trying to watch your caffeine, I would um, probably steer away from it uh, if you're drinking coffee on top of that. But yeah, I'm not really sure if there's any kind of estrogenic properties to yerba mate. I haven't really looked into it, but I do know that that is a, a pretty common one that a lot of the quote unquote biohackers tend to use. Mm-hmm. That's something we should definitely dive into at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, we got a question here from Nikki. Other than the spices listed, the selected salt, pepper, parsley, turmeric, ginger, garlic, cayenne, and cinnamon, how do I differentiate between thermo and non-thermo spices? Is there a website to reference the properties um, of certain that certain spices contain? So I was thinking about this question a little bit, and I feel like spice. I mean, I don't know how many spices are not thermo. Do you, are there a lot that aren't? Um, so it's gonna depend. I would say that, like, typically in general, if you can steer away from the types of spices that are like seeds and stuff like that, um, then you're pretty good. Like a lot of the herbs and stuff might mm. have slightly estrogenic effects, but you're using such a small amount in the grand scheme of things, it's not gonna make that much of a difference unless you're like absolutely drowning your food mm-hmm. in it um but i, I feel, so i was thinking like i feel like seasonings are like a lot of things that we attribute vegetables for because it's like people talk about like pair vegetables and meat because of like the whatever like the products that are created the metabolic products that are created when you like burn meat or cook meat like obviously the amino acids get smoked oxidized like things come together in a way they weren't naturally in the living cell and I think a lot of these things that uh, counteracted these antioxidants and apigenin, neurogen, and all that stuff are in these herbs that the people say like I'll eat the broccoli or vegetables with your meat. I think you probably get a lot of these benefits from just from eating a little bit of spice on the meat, just very tiny amount compared mm-hmm. to like a whole plate of vegetables. Right. Yeah. And then you also have stuff like um, peppers tend to mm. increase the amount of stomach acid that you create and help with the digestion of the meat and stuff like that. Um, same for salt. Salt mm-hmm. help, will help with that. Parsley is like one of the most potent apigenin. 
is one of the most potent uh, antioxidants. In, like it's anti anti-estrogen, pro progesterone, um, and arginine is also pro progesterone, which is in some stuff. Garlic has a ton of good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say generally like uh, staying away from the seeds is probably a good idea. Um, outside of that, we don't really have too many guidelines. Um, just make sure it's like exactly what you're getting. No PUFAs, no additives. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's huge. Especially if you're going to the grocery store and buying, um, a a brand that you're not familiar with. Um, that's, that's Mm -hmm. huge. Um, I I try to get organic too. Yeah. A lot of people tend to put like anti-caking agents in there and stuff like that. You want to avoid those as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, outside of that, feel free to experiment with that with pretty much whatever you want. There is like if you talk to the thermo of the thermo people, like Jake Miner or someone, he is trying to juice out that last five percent. So he's not gonna use coriander or something that might have the potential to have a little bit of an estrogenic effect. But, um, I think generally speaking in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make a huge difference. Um, unless, you know, you're someone like Jake Miner trying to squeeze out that last 3% that you can. Jake likes his food tasting good though. So I'd be curious what spices he uses. Yeah, that's true. He's a chef. Steak Miner. Steak Miner. All right. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) Um, next question from Chase. Can you discuss your thoughts about NO being bad? Nitric oxide. Yes. Interesting. Um, I personally think that this is a contextual problem. Um, So, like, for instance, if you're working out, your nitric oxide production is naturally going to increase to trigger vasodilation so you can get more oxygen into the muscles um, and so you can more effectively get lactic acid out of the muscles so you can then keep training um, and not have to deal with the burning effect in there. Um, so I don't necessarily think that nitric oxide is always a problem. The thing is, is whenever it's an excess and whenever the you have to look at what's triggering nitric oxide to be produced, that's the true problem. Um, for instance, like, um, you know, you can have allopregnanolone produced in the brain from a bunch of different stimuluses. The stimulus is the problem, right? Mm. Um, so you got to think about what's actually causing NO to be increased. And a lot of times it's a compensation mechanism for something that's happening further upstream. Um, so thinking about those and trying to eliminate the things that might be causing excess nitric oxide production is the true um, problem there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really, I believe there's another two or three, there's INOS, which I believe is in the, in the membrane nitric oxide, and ENOS, which is endothelial nitric oxide. Endothelial, I think it's going to be the main vasodilator, so it's going to help, you know, get more blood flow through. I think that's less of a problem than the INOS. The INOS is probably going to contribute more to, like, decreasing the metabolic rate, because it helps to, it, like, clogs the mitochondria, I think, a little bit. But, I mean, obviously, they're both important, or probably body wouldn't make them at all, or they're both at least important in that stress response that needs to happen. Um, obviously nitric oxide is broken. It's very unstable. It's a free radical, but like free radicals aren't this like big, bad thing. Like if you didn't have any free radicals, you would die on mm-hmm. the spot. You need free radicals to go through that electron transport chain to create energy, right? Right. And they act as signaling, signaling molecules for a lot of mechanisms in the body. Like they definitely play a purpose. Eliminating them completely is not going to be beneficial, but it's whenever they're in excess, whenever it becomes mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. And I don't think it's not like we're taking, when you take like nitric oxide boosting supplements or taking like f- fruits rich in nitrates or citrulline, yada, yada, yada. It's not like you're like turning, giving yourself nitric oxide. You're just giving your body the ability to produce it. If it needs to. If it needs to, exactly. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I think having excess, I think what's more important is probably getting enough CO2 in. And I think when nitric oxide really starts pumping out, it's probably your body saying it's closer to time to start turning off, like mm-hmm. too much, it's killing too much energy or whatnot. CO2 is like the real vasodilator that gets everything going, can, consumes more sugar, more energy production, yada, 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 in that cyclical loop. Um, but I think you probably want to have both optimized. I don't think nitric oxide is inherently something to worry about. It also has an interesting relationship with estrogen, which I'm not an expert on. Um, but I think it helps to shuttle estrogen into the cells and iron as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you definitely need to, it's definitely important. I definitely don't think it's demonized or it should be demonized, but definitely not something you want to have running rampant either. Right. Yeah. Like one way I like to think about it is that CO2 is kind of like the parasympathetic vasodilator and NO2 mm. is like the stress induced vasodilator. Um, it just matters whether or not you're trying to purposely induce that kind of vasodilation mm-hmm. because you're purposely trying to go into a stressor like um, weightlifting or, you know, sprints or something like that yeah. um, versus like, I don't know, what other kind of stressor would cause cause probably saunas would probably cause that. Yeah, saunas would be another one that like that's a specifically like intentionally induced stressor on the body. Mm-hmm. Um cold therapy probably wouldn't do a lot of, may it might do some vasodilation. Yeah, I feel like that would cause constriction. Yeah, that's what I would think. Mm-hmm. Um but you never know. It might have like a like after it causes constriction, you might get a huge nitric oxide release when you get out or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you never know. But yeah, I think nitric oxide is definitely important. Um like I said, it's it, it's something you can look into. It's definitely not something you want to have running around all the time. If one thing that I thought was a great point about taking nitric oxide boosters for like pre workouts, like I think they can be fine. They have their own place, but you need you should be able to tell if you're getting a good pump or not with or without that. So if you're always on the nitric oxide boosters, like you're never gonna have a baseline for like, oh, my blood flow has gotten a lot worse because you're always using these supplements to enhance your blood flow. So it's good to take a break and not use those things all the time. Yeah, definitely. Whenever it comes to the pump, I would say that electrolytes probably play a more important role than the nitric oxide mm-hmm. boost. I also took some magnesium before I worked out yesterday, and uh, Jake Jake was recommending it to me. He said he's done topical. I just took two daily mag and felt pretty good. Heck yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah, just, um, you know, figure out. I feel like it's just an inability for you to be able to produce CO2 in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. then as a compensatory mechanism for the body is going to produce more uh, nitric oxide. So figure out how you can kind of fix that problem and then you should yeah. be good. Yeah. And there are also, I mean, nitric oxide in it, its downstream metabolic byproducts are linked to a lot of diseases like peroxynitrates and all that stuff. So Obviously, again, something you don't want to have on all the time. CO2 is the main one you want to have on. But when times of stress, you want nitric oxide to be able to be produced. Yes, definitely. Also, by the way, NO2 is nitrous oxide, which is what you put in cars. NO is nitric oxide. <laughs> <laughs> but similar properties, though. Basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, Jake Miner, what are the top natural ways to lower estrogen? He says specifically top 20 natural ways to lower estrogen, but I say we just list as many as we can, and then if it ends up being 20, it ends up being 20. It's uh, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, nicotine. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so nicotine is a, uh, what is it? An aromatase yes, inhibitor? Yes, inhibitor. So it inhibits the conversion of testosterone to estrogen, so it actually might increase testosterone. Probably not the first thing I would look at. Yeah, but. I would say it probably plays more of a protective role for testosterone, and then it also helps um, increase DHT mm. as well. Um, so you're going to kind of help to increase or protect your DHT levels whenever you um, have intermittent exposure to nicotine. A nicotine addic- addiction is definitely not going to be beneficial, but... Um, 
strategic use of nicotine can be beneficial both from a nootropic perspectives for enhancing brain function, but mm-hmm. also um, for helping to increase DHT and lower estrogen levels. And it's anti-parasitic. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important things for lowering estrogen is to stop using synthetic estrogens. Yes, definitely. I would say whenever it comes to like, look at your bathroom and look at all the chemicals that you're using on your body and just take a second and be like, okay, there's probably at least 40 million chemicals that I'm putting on my skin on a daily basis. Like, um, sometimes, uh, I'll think about like growing up, my sister had just all kinds of stuff all over her counter whenever she was like really getting into makeup and body lotion and all of that stuff. Um, and it was just insane. Like you could smell her from a mile away if you really tried to. Good rule of thumb is if you cannot pronounce it, it does not belong in your bathroom shelf. Yes. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. I mean, obviously not all chemicals are bad. And we'll quote what like obviously a lot of miracles and pharmaceutical innovations have been made through advancing chemicals that we've made. But I mean, what I started using recently is just tallow soap. Literally one ingredient. It's tallow cow fat. <laughs> um, I uh, I think I use like the simple nature like hand wash. I mean, use as few ingredients as possible. You may maybe have some lavender or something for a scent, but like even that can have some negative side effects. Just clean as possible. Grass-fed tallow soap is the go-to. I don't know. I don't have a shampoo recommendation. Uh, I think, what's that company? Everyman Jack. They have, they're decent. Probably not perfect, but they're also available like everywhere, like CVS. Yep. Um, yeah. And we also have a post on the blog about some of mm-hmm. the different uh, personal care items that you can use too, if you're curious about that. And we carry some stuff too. Some tea tree shampoo and soap and all that good stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, another great way to lower estrogen is to not eat the a lot of the phytoestrogens too. So things like soy, tofu, um, a lot of these plant-based type of meats are mm-hmm. just filled with things that are not even food. Like I don't even know how a lot of these things got into our food system. Like it's yep. insane. Um, so eliminating things like that is going to be a huge factor. Um, Poofas are estrogenic, are they not? Poofas are extremely estrogenic. That'll be uh, another factor. Um, Or they at least lead to mechanisms that will increase estrogen later on down the line. Um, Or decrease testosterone. That's what you got to realize. It's like always like testosterone or estrogen. You're either going to be increasing one or decreasing the other. Yes. um, I think a big one that we haven't mentioned yet is daily carrot. Um, Something to, or not necessarily carrot. You could do the bamboo shoots, the, what is it, mushrooms. Yeah. Um, basically the insoluble fiber kind of helps to push things along in your digestive system. If you didn't know, one of the main ways we detoxify estrogen is through our poop. So if you have that, your colon, everything's sitting there for a long time, it's more likely to get reabsorbed back through your intestines versus you have everything's moving along as properly. You flush out more estrogen better, which also brings me to another point. Um, shower, I mean, sauna probably going to help for, I'm not going to say it's going to help like lower or decrease estrogen, but it'll help you like if you're in a high estrogen state, it'll probably help you detoxify faster. Yeah, sweating, definitely, yeah. for sure. Sweating, um, making sure that your stool is regular, like you said. Um, yeah. And then I think things that increase testosterone, which are pretty much going to decrease estrogen, lifting weights, putting on more muscle, more muscle mass, generally going to have higher testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. Probably keeping your blood sugar up, not directly, but indirectly. Sun, Oh, vitamin D, sunlight, adequate sunlight. Retinol right. is very anti-estrogenic, um, so getting enough liver, eggs, all that stuff. Vitamin E. Vitamin E is anti-estrogenic. Um, I think it's also an aromatase inhibitor, is it not? Um, 
I'm I want to say that I've heard that before. I'm not exactly sure how it works though. Mm-hmm. Um, aspirin is going to be another good one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sprinting, altitude training, being up with altitude. Um, I can't count that high, but that was, I think that was a good amount. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like I have a couple more that might be beneficial to people. Probably optimizing your sleep. Oh yeah, just definitely. general health recommendations. Mm-hmm. Getting enough mm-hmm. steps in daily. Lowering oh lowering body fat. That's the other like yes. So be, lowering body fat in itself in it of itself is a stress, but most of where you store estrogen is going to be in fat. It's a fat soluble hormone. Um, so. Getting to a relatively low body fat, not like six to eight percent, maybe like twelve to fifteen, maybe eighteen. Yeah, for men, mm-hmm. and then women is probably going to be right around twenty percent. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I think that's about it. That's all I got. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Um, yeah, and then just eliminating as many stressors as you can too. Mm-hmm. Like cortisol is going to be something that kind of goes in tandem. And, Cortisol and serotonin. So taking steps to lower serotonin is going to help kind of um, like dysregulate the system that um, works with estrogen because serotonin and estrogen kind of go hand in hand together. Um, So anything that you do to lower serotonin in the body too is going to be beneficial. Like um, you mentioned the carrot salad and for that uh, activated charcoal can also Mm. be beneficial for helping to lower endotoxin and stuff like that, which can play a role. Um, I know Ray has talked about B1 and B2, I think maybe B3, but I think really B1 and B2 are important for detoxifying and breaking down estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting enough of those and drinking alcohol is going to deplete you of B1, B2. Uh, so make sure to get enough of those if you're going to drink as well. Definitely. And also avoid beer, one of the uh, strongest estrogens you can in the in the world. The strongest. The strongest. Yes. Um, yeah, that stuff is... I don't understand how people... Drink so much of that stuff all the time. That's crazy. And then they wonder why they're uh, chunky. (laughs) Uh, Top five favorite forms of thermoactivation and why? Um, Sunlight, tanning. Yep. Uh, In tandem with walking, too. Mm, Yeah, Uh, that's a good one. Those are probably my two favorite to do simultaneously for sure is to get outside, get some steps in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think reading outside is also good. Anytime where you like either increase your heart rate, like exercising probably going to be, and then somewhere you're like intentionally like nasal breathing and just like very relaxed, um, doing something like cognitive probably going to be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. And if you're not staring at a screen, that's a bonus. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I do like to read. Um, socializing. Like, yeah, socializing is is a good one. Um Obviously, the amount of socialization is going to be independent to the person, but generally, like, getting some kind of socialization is definitely really good. Um, I personally like to ride my motorcycle. Mm. Um, I enjoy working out. I enjoy jiu-jitsu. Um, yeah, that's probably all that I got. Cooking is another one that I really enjoy, um, especially whenever I get to experiment with new things mm-hmm. that I enjoy. I've been making fish recently. I'm enjoying that. It's fun to cook new things. Yeah, Definitely. Um, yeah, I like resistance training, um, reading, I'm talking to people, getting sunlight, um, sex. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely one that's beneficial for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, those are probably my top however many. I don't know how many I listed, but I think it was around five. We can't count. Um, yeah, we're scientists, not mathematicians. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Self-proclaimed scientists, anyways. Yeah. 
fake scientist. Why is spending time in nature so beneficial? Um. Well, a yeah. Well, I think anytime you're taking your like, we live in this state where everyone's on their phone. Everyone is always just staring at stuff. We're in this uh kind of high stress state constantly, where there's always new information, like always coming. The so you the thing I hate about TikTok, which is it's kind of tangent, it's just there's no re- like Instagram. You have to swipe right sometimes. Same thing with like Twitter. Like you can go in this feed, you can literally until your thumb cramps, you're scrolling on TikTok, which is just like this. It's the perfect you know analogy for society, right? Like you, if you don't want to, you can just beyond constant information mm-hmm. it's never an end nature is just the opposite of that <laughs> information deload yeah definitely um i would also say that um it mitigates the amount of emf that you're exposed to which is going to be beneficial that's why a lot of people tend to kind of feel at peace whenever they're like camping out in the wilderness mm-hmm. or something um obviously the sunlight's going to be very beneficial pure um, air also, if you're going somewhere that you haven't been before, there is uh, a lot of benefits for creativity and like um, like brain stimulation because of the novelty. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's another great reason to go out into nature, especially to new places that you haven't been before. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably some benefits for like the microbiome, just like getting your feet and hands a little dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like... Um, Decreases in cortisol, both from like a grounding mechanism if you come into contact with the earth, but also just like um, there's studies that show just simply being out in nature and walking um, tends to lower cortisol mm-hmm. levels. Yeah. I think that's about it. Yeah. All the ones off the top of our head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably, probably a ton more. After being thermal for so long, what is the biggest lesson you learned? Well, I haven't been thermo for that long, but um, it's coming up around a year now. It's probably a little over a year now for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so long. Uh, I know. I feel like it's a marathon, not a race. Mm-hmm. Also, it's like, um, I think one of the big things that we don't do the best job of is like, we. I think there's a lot of exceptions that can be made. Like, so I've recently started eating um organic pasta, which is quote unquote not thermo, but like if I don't have any issues digesting it, or at least I don't think I do. Probably not the best thing to be eating. But I like if that makes thermo the thermo diet more accessible to significantly higher quantities of people. Like we don't need most people don't need to have this perfect diet, right? We need to get ourselves back into this balanced maintenance hormonal balanced state. Mm-hmm. And if eating pasta, um, it like once a week is going to let a two thousand, a couple hundred thousand more people get on thermo diet and be like, oh, this is not that bad. Broaden out. I think that's something that we could do a better job of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I would say. Um more in like a philosophical sense, I feel like thermo has given me the ability to more easily focus on the things that are within my control versus focusing on things that are outside of my control. Um, because like pretty much everything that you do thermo allows you to have self-sufficiency in some form or fashion and allows you to have like the ultimate say in the things that you're doing versus like, um, I don't know. A lot of people tend to worry about things um, at like a governmental level or something like that, Mm -hmm. that you don't really have any control over the things that happen in that case. So um, kind of dialing it back a little bit and figuring out the things that you do have control over and then focusing on those things and then trying to expand your realm of reach as much as possible, um, I feel like has definitely helped me. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think being able to like detach and like kind of see 
just not being as emotionally attached to everything. I feel like you're mm-hmm. trying to see things like Ray has talked about this, like the personality or the energy capacity to like really think for yourself and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Absolutely. Also being like sleeping and just being at a higher energy state. I mean, I think Jake Miner is the epitome of this, but I think the more energy you have, the more energy you have to give away, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, what is the importance of walking daily and or generating daily movement? The first thing that comes to mind is better digestion. Um, walking, you actually have like um, movement sensors in your digestive tract um, that can kind of tell whenever your legs are moving. So um, walking is going to be beneficial for peristaltic contractions to happen and move things down the down the pipeline, so to speak. Yeah, I think having some form of movement practice is probably the most important thing you can do for your health overall. Um, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's why, like, when astronauts, when they go to space, they lose their bone density because they no longer have to resist gravity, so their bones don't have to remain as strong to, like, exist for them to be six foot or however tall they are. Mm-hmm. So they come back here, and they lost a ton of bone density. they got to slowly but surely get that back. If you're not moving, walking, doing some form of resistance training, even if it's just walking up a hill or swimming, you are going to get weaker over time. Mm-hmm. Pretty much just, I mean, eventually, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, whenever you begin to lose muscle like that, you're losing metabolically active tissue mm-hmm. that is going to be burning energy. And so um, over time, your metabolic rate is going to slowly decrease because you have less metabolic tissue present. Mm-hmm. You need to give your body a reason to hold on to things. And if it doesn't have one, which is pretty much movement practice, you're going to lose it eventually. It's just a matter of time. Definitely. Um, lymphatic drainage is another benefit that you experience whenever mm-hmm. you have a daily movement practice. Um, that's going to lead to um, less bacterial buildup in the system. It's going to lead to better brain clarity because that's one of the ways that a lot of the chemicals in the brain get moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just gonna it's going to be great all the way around. Um, and it helps to balance blood sugar as well, especially if you do it around a meal. Mm-hmm. Great for that. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Covers yeah. it. Plus, uh, helps to decrease cortisol levels in a lot mm. of cases as well. So that can also be beneficial. Get outside too. Yep. Double I would down. say um, also walking specifically, whenever you can figure out how to use your mind and body simultaneously, it can help you be a lot more creative in a lot of cases, um, at least from my experience. And sometimes whenever you're facing a problem, that you're trying to solve and you go for a walk, it can help you think a lot better. And Mm -hmm. I've come up with solutions to a lot of different problems just by simply taking a 10, 15 minute walk. I like walking. Yes. Um, Increasing flexibility. What's the best way, static or dynamic? Is it a worthy endeavor? (laughs) Why do you want to increase your flexibility is my question. (laughs) Yeah, um, I think there is a mix up kind of whenever it comes to mobility and flexibility. So can you kind of define those two terms for us? Well, uh, I would define it more as like active versus passive range of motion. Mm -hmm. So are there joint norms range of motion, right? So like, let me try Like a door can only bend so far, right? And then all of a sudden you have to, to get it any further, you have to break it off its hinges. We all have that. Some people, it's a little bit different genetically. Like we have joints that allow for more space, but there are human norms that have been established basically working on, Dead human beings, dead uh, bodies about where where joint normal range of motions are. You want to be able to more if, for the majority of people that are not competitive athletes or powerlifters or jiu-jitsu people. You want to be in this norm. Once you exceed this norm, you are putting your or um the opposite like 
are under the norm, you're losing range of motion, you're at a risk for in, high risk for injury. Does that mean you're going to get injured? No, not necessarily, but you're at a high risk. Um, if you can't, if you're underactive, like you don't have enough mobility, working to achieve this range of motion is probably going to be a good thing. If you're hypermobile or you're regular mo- mobile, trying to get hypermobile is probably just going to be worse off for you. And a lot of people that are hypermobile end up being so it's very linked to depression because they have to have literally a depressed nervous system to allow their muscles and joints to go into that um, to get, relax enough to go to these extreme ranges of motion. So chasing these extremes and flexibility and mobility is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so mobility, a lot of people like to define as like where you can tr- contract under load, mm-hmm. um, which kind of like your active range of motion, mm-hmm. which is kind of going to depend on like where the center of gra- gravity is and a bunch of other stuff. But honestly, I mean, I, I don't stretch at all um, I, other than weighted stretching. I think weighted stretching is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll see me doing like uh, like lengthened lat exercises where it's like I'm basically stretching my lat and then pulling, actively contracting it versus having, you know, like someone laying laying down on the ground and have, pulling my band back with a band passively into a range of motion I couldn't achieve mm-hmm. naturally. I don't really think stretching has much merit there. Some people would argue against me, which is fine my personal take on the matter. Yeah, I really like the approach that like the knees over toes guy tends to come out with like um building resiliency in a lot of the more um injury prone mm-hmm. areas. The um, end ranges. Or moments. Yeah. yeah. Um so creating strength in the full range of motion is definitely beneficial. I would also say um one anal- you ha- you use the rope analogy, but one analogy that I like is like the plastic bag analogy of stretching. So okay. like whenever you stretch, it's kind of like pulling a plastic bag apart. Like you can stretch it, but it's going to it, the more that you stretch it, the weaker that be- it becomes over time, um, and eventually it's gonna break. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you don't want to just pull it. Like re- you want to be able to like. So it, I, I like the rope analogy, right? So rope is fixed at both ends, and it can get shorter and close farther apart. You, further apart you get it, the more stretched it is. But you want that rope as a muscle, as a living being thing, to be able to dynamically change length, right? Mm-hmm. So you want you don't want to just keep stretch. You want to be have it be able to shorten, have it be able to lengthen under load. And the better, more load you can handle, more force you can produce in that position, better off you're going to be. And I do think these. I think knees over toes guy is a little bit overhyped, as you know, but I think he has a good message. Go to those end ranges of motion that are probably more injury prone and spend some time there, get some strength there. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So hopefully that answers your question. If you are looking for some resistance training programs that take your body through a full range of motion, you can check out uh, Umzu Fit. We got some mobility programs on there that are literally designed to do exactly what we just talked about, take your body through a full range of motion, get some mobility and some strength in those areas. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, next question, best sourdough sources, explain what makes sourdough thermo and why, um, and why we need, hold on, this is worded, explain what makes sourdough thermo and why so we know what to look for on labels from bakers, etc. Mm. So sourdough is really just natural bread mm-hmm. for thousands of years. Like we didn't have baker's yeast, which is like basically like a basically a bag of yeast that helps to ferment it very rapidly, mm-hmm. which is nice for bakers. Well, it helps to rise it. Mm. Um, so it's going to create more kind of like a, a fluffier bread because um, you have to let it sit and rise before you bake it or else it's not, it's going to be like flat bread. Mm. Um, it's going to be super dense and kind of like um, just not as airy and fluffy as a lot of different breads. Um, and so the way that sourdough does that is through the fermentation process and, um, 
And the bacteria that is present during that fermentation process actually eats away at the gluten molecules. And then those gluten molecules are broken down into their more um, isolated amino acids. And so it's going to free up more protein availability in the bread, but it's also getting rid, a lot of, uh, rid of a lot of the tougher gluten molecules that are in the bread that are harder to break down in the digestive system. And phytic acid as well, I believe. Yes, it tends to break down phytic acid mm-hmm. pretty well. Too. I also think it opens up some B vitamins. I think it's B2 and B3. Yep. Um, and maybe B1 as well. I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that one. But then um, whenever you're looking at an ingredient panel for a sourdough bread that you want, um, water and salt and flour are usually going to be the main ingredients. Preferably and then, non-fortified, non-fortified flour. Yes. Um, sometimes they'll put different kinds of oils or things on it. So you just want to make sure that it doesn't have poofas in there for that. And then um, they're typically going to have a type of starter in there as well, um, which is literally just like, it's just salt water and flour. That's the, that's actually what ferments the bread itself. So the starter is necessary. And then the flour and the water and the salt are going to be mm-hmm. necessary. But outside of that, those are like the basic ingredients. That's all we got time for today. I appreciate everybody listening. And, um, you know, if you have any questions or comments or concerns, feel free to reach out to us inside of the Thermo Group or on Umzu Fit or something like that, um, Instagram even. And there is no video to this episode specifically because we were having some technical difficulties today. Um, we're also going to be taking a brief hiatus um, because we are actually changing podcast settings. So we're, we use a uh, podcast room right now that is not at our office and we're setting one up in the office now. So um, we're going to have our very own setup very, very soon. So um, It's going to be dope. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, um, probably, you know, two to four weeks, somewhere around there. And then we should be back rocking and rolling. So, uh, but on the bright side, we will be able to interview people now. So give send us your recommendations for who you want to see in the podcast and we'll do our best to get them on. Yes, definitely. Thank y'all for listening and we'll talk to y'all again soon. Peace.